Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I am doing okay. Uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful sunny day, so the the rains that I complain about uh, are gone. I, I suspect they won't return for another month or so. Um, usually, this is the, the the most beautiful time of year, and today certainly is. Well, you sent them over to us because for once, for once, it's actually raining uh, uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, it's always it always kind of shocks me when I walk outside and I see water on the ground or worse, rain worse, I don't know if worse, or more surprisingly, rain falling from the sky, but it's been happening the past 24 hours. So yeah, yeah we should probably cut out the weather talk though, because um, as I understand it, the rest of the United States in particular has it way worse than we do, uh, particularly particularly the Great Lakes and like Buffalo. Do you see those pictures? No, what happened? They've gotten like seven feet of snow oh, in like wow. 24 hours. Okay. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, um, we can probably find more interesting things to talk about than the weather anyway. <laughs> yeah, so I did want to, um, uh, I did want to, uh, I wrote up, my piece yesterday was, um, it, it, in some respects, it was kind of like a follow-up to the Smiling Curve article I wrote a couple weeks ago, which mm. we didn't really spend much time on in this podcast either. But I think that's okay because I feel like a lot of the topics are stuff we've been talking about regularly. And yep. probably the most pertinent one is kind of the jungle idea where you have the big trees and then you have this this kind of undergrowth where there's lots of opportunities. And so the point about uh, a couple weeks ago, I wrote a piece called The, the Smiling Curve talking about the fact that uh, I think going forward and, and the, the effect of, uh, I was talking about publishers, but clearly my my meaning was to apply this to all kinds of industries mm. is that a lot of the value is going to flow to, to the kind of the aggregators on, on the right. Um, and then there will be value to be had by the creators on the left, but the publishers in the middle are going to be kind of left out in the cold because then they're getting just completely disintermediated. And, yep. and like their brands aren't, aren't really like if I follow a link on Twitter, I don't really care the publication that it's in. That's incidental to my reading the content. Um, most most of that piece was about the publishers and the aggregators, like Google, Facebook, et cetera. Um, but what I want to talk about yesterday was kind of the left side. How is it that content creators capture value? And here, talk about Taylor Swift. And so touched on some of the points he did last week. Um, talked about uh, Omni Software, which sells iOS apps for like 20, 30 bucks a pop, um, which, which seems absurd. But what they're doing is they're creating something that's highly differentiated and they're charging, they're charging for it. Mm. And, and basically the response and, 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 uh, the response I get to these articles a lot, and we've gotten this response to like the jungle discussion before as well is, um, that's fine for Taylor Swift, or, you know, if I can be so modest, that's fine for Ben. Um, Hmm. but you know, that it's, it's a very kind of pessimistic take. Or the other thing I get is like where I, I noted last week that I've, you know, I've reached four figures of subscribers, which is very exciting. It's kind of like, yeah, uh, 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 was it was a big goal, and I you know reached it earlier than expected. But then a lot of people are like, oh, that's great for Ben, but there's not going to be a lot of these. I, I can only subscribe to so many. Can you talk a little bit more about where you think this is coming from? Are they like in terms of like if you dig a little deeper into the that's fine for Ben type sentiment? Is it is it? Do you think it's? 
I mean, because like as an as an observer, like as a friend who's watched you start this from scratch and push through the challenging part where you had a really small audience and even though you weren't getting the consistent rewards of articles that might get tweeted everywhere and picked up by Gruber and whatever, which is what happens now, you pushed and you pushed and you pushed even, even when it wasn't easy for you. And I feel like you paid your dues. Is it... Do you think people are coming at it because they they now see you successful and they don't realize that there was a whole bunch of really dark, painful, lonely stuff where you're not entirely sure that whether you were going to succeed or not? Like they don't get, they weren't exposed to that and they just see you where you're at now? I, th- I think there is an aspect of that. Um, you know, it's... It's very it, it's difficult to put stuff in context, like things things as they are today. And this cuts both ways. Things as they are today seem like they've always been that way, and it's like right. they always be that way in the future. And so you, this is where you get mistakes in forecasting too, right? People, especially in startups, especially a company like Uber, which I'm sure we will talk about more <laughs> in a little bit. But like uh, uh, one reason why I'm very bullish on them, and I, I, but some people are, aren't, is because they only see the company as it is today and the services mm. they provide today and the revenue that they have today. And, and it's hard to extrapolate out. And it's, it's, it's exceptionally hard to extrapolate out when the, in, when the increase you foresee is exponential. Mm. Um, it, it, people can kind of grasp linear, but it's hard to get the exponential thing. And the same thing going backwards, right? I mean, it, it, it's very hard to be in the place, especially something that seems obvious now. It's mm. very hard to put yourself in the place, you know, six, seven years ago when it wasn't obvious at all. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, th- that's probably, that's probably a part, that's probably a part of it. I mean, like, as you know, I, when I started the blog, I had 389 followers, uh, you were the 10th follower to Strategy, but, yeah. only because, but only because I begged you to follow it. Oh, you never begged me. I was like, this is super cool. No, 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 no. And no, I should no, have no. done, wait. No, I, no, I, no, it was, day, it was day one. And I said, I, my, my goal for day one was 10 and I have nine. So can you please be my 10th? Okay. Well, um, <laughs> you know, I feel guilty about not doing a better job having supported you at the start because it's so difficult doing something like that. I mean, and again, it's easy to 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 look back and, and to say, and, and to come out with comments like that's, that's great for Ben or that's great for Taylor, whatever. But you, you, when you started that out, you had, you invested all that time and effort and energy and you had no idea whether it's going to succeed. It actually reminds me of an article that I read on this topic that I just loved. Um, and it was, it was by a journalist who interviewed uh, Ang Lee way back when, before he was successful. Um, and it talked about how he w- went through so many dark periods um, where he was trying to get these scripts written and trying to get these movies stood up and they'd always get bounced back. No, this isn't good enough. And he thought about quitting so many times and his wife was just like, no, you really believe in this. You've got to stick at it. And it's easy to look at someone like that. And, you know, it's like, well, that's easy for him to say, you know, it's, it's, that's great for Ang Lee or whatever. But when you start a venture like this, when you put a particularly creative one and you have no idea whether it's going to work, like you go through some pretty dark moments. So I have a lot of respect for people who've done it. And that, that obviously extends to you as well. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, uh, but I, I don't want to dwell on, on me or this angle. I think the point a lot of people have, and it is a legitimate one is 
yes, that's fine, but there's only going to be a few winners. And meaning, mm. and, and this is gets to the like, well, I can only subscribe to so many, so, so many newsletters or subscribe to so many sites. And that's fair. That's true. But again, I think it completely underestimates the opportunity. And yes, if you want to write a newsletter about tech uh, and daily, like you're going to be competing with me for the same people's dollars, right? And I would advise you to not do that. I think <laughs> you may have a small vested interest in saying that. Though, but right? but I got a tweet. I got a tweet after uh, the the thing, and someone's like, "Man, I wish someone would do what Strecker is doing, but for science." There, right. I, there's no one doing right. that. And what about if you did it just for biology or you did it just for uh, physics or you did it just for like, there's the thing with the internet is because you can reach so many people, mm. you can get in these super narrow niches. And there are actually a lot of people in those niches and kind of in the more narrow the niche, the trade-off is there's less people, but the degree of passion that those people have is significantly greater. And the willingness to pay for something that expressly meets their needs. These are populations that have been underserved and ignored for basically their entire existence. Like there's so much greenfield out there to, to meet people and then to charge a fair price. And, and this is, and I think so many people are so, get so caught up in the, and the part of it's the news cycle, right? News is all about VC backed firms, all about scale firms. And it's all about firms that touch everyone. Google touches everyone. Apple touches everyone. Facebook touches everyone. And the, the thing with those firms is they have, they have scale business models that are meant to meet as many people as possible. But mm-hmm. that doesn't make that the right business model for other types of businesses. In fact, that's the wrong business model for the vast majority of businesses. And I think especially in tech, because that dominates the thinking, um, I, I, I kind of feel like there's this whole unexplored area where you can meet people in very narrow niches and charge mm. and charge a pretty high price and make a very good living of it. You know, it's interesting because it, it's – it's kind of always been that way. It's just the nature of the niche has fundamentally changed. It used to be more that the niches were geographical and you'd get you get local monopolies with things like newspapers and news stations because those were the things that, those were the niches. People were interested in that local kind of aspect. And I think the internet is changing that, but it's the, the niches aren't going away. Instead, they're, they're becoming niches about deep, topic areas so like what like what you're doing um, right no exactly the science one yeah yeah no exactly and and that that's super important to understand is because before the internet everything had to be done at scale because to do especially content because any sort of content creation required had so many fixed costs the thing mm. the thing with scale and i i, I deleted this section because my piece was a little long as it was but the thing with scale the reason why it's such a powerful force is um if you have fixed costs the more things you produce, the the more you can spread those costs over a number of items, mm-hmm. which actually means paradoxically, the more you make, the cheaper each individual item gets. Now, the marginal mm-hmm. cost is the same, right? The marginal cost is marginal cost, it, although that can get lower because of like there's two there's two things that make things cheaper. One is economies of scale, which most people understand, and that's the marginal cost item. Where if you buy if you're buying supplies for a million widgets, you can get a better price than if you're buying supplies for a thousand widgets. So mm-hmm. that goes into the cost of a single item. And so, yes, if you produce more, your marginal cost will go down. The cost to produce one more item. 
But also there's two costs. There's marginal costs and there's fixed costs. The fixed costs has to be spread over everything you produce. And that covers all your all your capital costs, like the machinery. It covers the R&D. It's like all the things that go into making the product exist. And right. the more you can operate at scale, the less those impact your 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 per unit margin. And and this and this means like there is just a massive advantage to being big. And and that meant that yes, to you needed to have you could not build a thousand person content business realistically uh because you you I mean what do you do rent a printing press? I mean it 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 just it didn't make sense. It didn't work. Um, and now it does work. The costs are way lower. The market is way bigger. You can mm. like there, I'm sure there are a thousand model railroad enthusiasts or, or I've used this example for mm. around the world that would pay mm. some amount of month for, and maybe this already exists for some sort of content that like is super meaningful to them and, and perfectly fits their needs. And yes, there will probably only be one winner in the model railroad newsletter market, but the number of markets is huge. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. Like the it's totally different now. There's yes, the people who say there will only be a couple winners are right. What they don't appreciate is the number of markets, the number of individual niches has exploded. And that's the huge opportunity. And that's why I'm so bullish about the internet and bullish about content creation going forward is is because the whole fundamental nature of the market has changed and, and people I think are only seeing part of it. They're not seeing, they're not seeing all of it. Yeah. They're seeing the negative. They're saying fewer and fewer winners, what they're not. Yeah. Oh, fewer and fewer winners per, per race. What they're not, they're not recognizing is that the number of races that can be run is growing exponentially because like you say, not only are the fixed costs going down, but the marginal costs of dis- distribution are going down dramatically as well. And your addressable market has gone from people you could reach through traditional mechanisms, printed or what, or otherwise, to like you can basically reach anybody now. Right, and, and the key thing here, and one thing I was, I'm frustrated. I feel like I could have, I had a hard time writing this piece just because like, there's all these things, and I feel like I should have articulated this point better. But the that's why we have the podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the the problem is that so many people like we've talked about this before so many people have taken the newspaper approach and just ported it to the internet and so you yep. have all these sites that are trying to reach everyone and fund it by advertising and and the problem is you're competing against everyone it's it, it's a brutal brutal market to to take you're taking a model that was suitable for a completely different environment where you had a geographic monopoly and trying to put it into mm. a market where there's perfect competition. Like it's insane. It, but yet you, you, but it's, it, it's the way they always, it's the way this always happens, right? Uh, some new technology comes along. People don't understand how it works. So the first thing they try and do is just use the, the old tech, the new technology to replicate the old model. Right. No, it is. It's, it's, that's exactly what's happening. It's doing on the business model perspective. Right. Um, right. and, and the, the future though, if, if you do this super focused niche approach is you, you advertising is not the solution. 
It would just by definition, advertising is by definition a scale play. I mean, it, it might be work in some narrow things where there's like, well, I mean, like the model railroads, like I'm sure model yeah. railroad companies would be super interested in reaching that audience. Yeah, so, wouldn't they, right? Yeah, so uh, it's like super targeted. Yeah, I know you're right. So may, maybe maybe it will work, but it's going to be a it's going to be a different kind. It's probably going to be native advertising, not display. Yes. Um, and this is a, like you. See, come on, James, you're the native advertising opponent. You can't tell me that. If you're in the model railroad, you wouldn't. Would you really mind if the model railroad company had a clearly labeled post in in your feed? I mean, I, you would actually probably find it very useful and compelling. I don't. I don't. I don't uh, have anything to do with model railroads. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I'm, I don't know why I'm stuck on that. No, I know you really wanted to. You really wanted to get me on that, didn't you? I, I, I look. I'm coming round on the the advertising piece. Yeah, I think I think part of the issue, and I think we worked it out a little bit, not to dwell on this too much. Yeah, but part of the issue I had with native advertising was a terminology one, like making it native to the medium versus disguising it as as editorial. I think that's where I was getting hung no, up. No, I, I agree, um, and, and and to be and to be fair, there's way too much of the latter. And I, I agree it's terrible. Um, that's actually an interesting uh, – we were going to just spend like five minutes on this. Um, I know. It happens. Well, it's an interesting segue, um, it, but I'm going to hide the segue because I think it will come up later later on. But we mentioned we, we did want to talk about Uber. I mean, I'm sure us and everybody else are going to talk about it. But um, Oh, God. These guys. They These guys seem to be freaking experts at snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory, you know? So just – I'm going to put this up front like – yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna be a bit. Uh, I already wrote a piece in, in the daily. It was updates. in the. It was in the. Yeah, in the newsletters. It was really yeah, good. Just like I, I, I certainly disapprove of this. I disapprove of a great many th- things that they've done. Other things, I'm. I'm more in the middle on. But I, I am. I think. Well, let's hear you. Let's hear your outrage first. And I, I just up front, I'm probably gonna be a bit of devil's advocate here, just because I think. No, I, think no, okay, I think there's. I think there's. I, I'm always I'm always worried, just from kind of an intellectual perspective, when mm-hmm. something seems totally black and white. And what I mean by that is yeah. like the, the black and white case here is uber bad, you know. And well, but they're not bad. I mean, that's the thing. There's no company out there that that just by virtue of its mission, what it's doing, that I want to succeed more than that company. They have an amazing product. Uh, it's changed. It's changing people's lives for the better. Like I, I read this article. I think I think it was in the New York Times about people going out in LA, and it's making people more social. It's it's like like LA. You need a car to get around, right? I, I can't stand that city for exactly that reason. Sorry to all our listeners based in LA, but it like that kills me. But people want to go out on a Friday or Saturday night, and you get all these crazy instances of drink driving because taxis weren't reliable and were too expensive. And and never came and whatever. And, and this comes along and suddenly it's easy to go out. Suddenly, like you don't have to worry about drink driving, all these things. Like, like in San Francisco, you, it'd rain, you'd never be able to get a taxi. Like you need to get to the airport, you book a car, you'd never know whether it would come or not. Uber has changed all that. It is, it is a disruptive technology. And as a flag bearer for disruption, there is no company that I would rather see succeed. But what just is so disappointing, given that fact, is how many times they have managed to get themselves in the news doing 
batshit crazy things or like things that are just like immoral. Like, why do you need, like, why do you need to, to talk about paying people to dig up dirt on journalists who don't like you? Like, or, or why would you, why would you have a launch party in Chicago and for shits and giggles decide to dig up the details of a venture capitalist and share their details at the launch party? Like, this is just so stupid. Like, this is a company that people want to love, that the service is so fantastic to the point where they will get their customers to email local legislators legislators to, to say, you know what, don't, I know you get all, I know the government makes all this money out of the taxi industry. I know the taxi industry has, have these links into the government. And, and that's, a, that's a nasty and dirty industry. But how they can, it's just, I don't know, I'm just immensely frustrated and, di- and disappointed because I think it's a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic service. And they just keep seeming to screw it up with these stupid things where they should know better. So the, 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 the question I have for you is, um, you, you complain that they're doing these great things, but then they keep screwing it up. And it, it, in mm. some respects goes back to um, discussions we've had about like about disruption. Why do companies get disrupted? Like why do they do one thing and then can't do another? And, and mm. the question I have is, and, and you just you referenced it, to what degree has their success been due to the exact same attitude that results in crap like this? Yeah, I mean, I know what you're saying, but it, it, so on one hand, like this is a company that's had to fight for survival, right? You, you are a disruptor going up against incumbents that are uh, tightly linked, like, like they're tightly linked to the existing system. The, the local governments make money out of the taxi industry. I mean, the taxi industry and, and so on have lobbyists that, you know, connected into government. Like there are many links. I'm sure that there's, there's, there are donations made to, to political campaigns. No, like, no, no. See, see, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here because I think this is actually super critical um, to, to appreciate about what Uber has done. And that is uh, Uber, unlike unlike most other tech companies and unlike a lot of the stuff that we're aware of, they're not dealing with national governments or or and so they do state governments some, but by and large, they're dealing with local governments like cities mm-hmm. and municipalities and taxi commissions. And those are far dirtier, far more corrupt than yeah. anything on the national level. I mean, we can get, we can get up in arms about, about donations and campaign finance mm-hmm. laws, but the the corruption that results from that is is not even remotely in the same ballpark as as what's happening at what happens at the local level because you think about the local level i mean there was like for example in uh san francisco there's a new law that any building above like four stories along like the marina or waterfront or whatever like has to go to a citywide referendum which is, which is, if you think about it, is it's insane. San Francisco has so many problems with housing already, and the idea that a housing project, an individual private housing project, needs to go to a referendum is absurd. Why is that there? It's there because uh, a wealthy couple got it on the ballot like last summer in a ballot in which like nine thousand people ended up voting. Like it, the 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 problem is like democ- democracy 
at least at a national level, you, you it's possible to fight back by mobilizing like voters, right? When you get to the local mm-hmm. level and there's like 9,000, like, or maybe it's 9% or so whatever, it's some tiny fraction of the potential mm-hmm. population is voting. No one's paying attention. No one cares. You can pull crap like this all the time. And like the, mm. the, the, the checks and balances are way are, are much more likely to be out of whack. And so Uber is going into this environment. They're dealing with people at this level. They are, uh, they are basically when they go into a city, they are breaking the law. What's happening though, is Uber is operating according to their own moral code. And we applaud that. And now but, they're but, operating but, again, according to their own moral code. And we're, 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 Upset. But, that, but yeah, no, I, I get it. And I mean, I guess there are two ways of viewing their actions. And maybe this is the idealistic tech person in me. When they're fighting the corrupt city governments, they're fighting for, they're fighting, they're fighting laws that I think you speak to an ordinary person on the street and they would agree those laws shouldn't exist. Like the idea that the idea that, you know, I mean, I've seen all kinds of crazy versions of local laws that have been enacted to restrict Uber, like you can't charge based on GPS or stuff like that. Like you ask a regular person on the street whether that makes sense, they'd say no. And and you 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 like look at the the rationale behind the reason why a law like that gets introduced. It's to protect incumbents who are who are trying to stifle innovation because it threatens their business model. Now, if if you if you think of the reason if if you think as to the reason why Uber's behaving the way it is, the quote unquote illegally because it's fighting for a, it's fighting the system because the system appears broken, then it's easy to support them, and that's why I think when they move into one of these territories and when the government tries to shut it down, all of a sudden there are thousands of people all all chiming in saying, "No, we don't want you to shut this down. This is the way it should be. This is a better service. People are benefiting as a result of that." Now. There's another uh, less uh, less kind way of viewing their behaviors, which is the the more Wall Street, like Uber, just does it not not because it's the right thing to do, but rather because it benefits Uber, and that's where you start to see that's where you start to see examples of the behavior that that disappoints me. I, I think disappoints lots of people so much, like. Talking about digging up dirt on journalists because they don't like it, right? So, so, and I, I, that, that's the distinction. It's like an immune system that that's gone awry. It's it's one thing when they're going in and they're attacking things because they're, they're attacking things, they're attacking the system or, or attacking the laws, uh, uh, behaving quote unquote outside the laws because the laws make no sense. It's another thing when the, the immune response is such that anything that threatens them, they res- they respond to negatively and they try and shut it down. Like that's the distinction for me. And I, I wish they were more in the attacking the system because the system makes no sense, but they were open to constructive criticism. They were open to feedback around, like if a journalist is starting to say your, your branding is objectifying women, like stand up and say, mea culpa, you're right. Like we shouldn't have done that. And I think instead their responses where they, they, everything is an existential threat. Everybody's out to get them. That's the way they're approaching it. And it's resulting in some really warped behaviors. I, I get what you're saying, but that, but that mm-hmm. sounds like James Allworth trying to retroactively justify him loving this company. Like, I, I don't think there's any reason to have thought from the beginning that Uber isn't in this to 
because they see a massive opportunity and they want to win. Like it just so happened that they had a morally, uh, a morally good, I'm trying to know a word, but argument that happened to align with their own interests. But I think, and and, and I put myself, I, I just, I just, you know, judged you, but I put myself in that camp as well. I think we owe, we deserve blame too, because like the fact remains Uber was, uh, we all cheered when Uber broke the law and, and, and what, and Uber now with the journalist thing, and it was just a comment at a, at what we thought was a private dinner. Uh, they didn't break a law and now we're upset. Like, I mean, again, the idea, the idea, particularly the idea of like going into people's private records and stuff is, is really terrible. I'm not by any means justifying it just to be super clear. But at the same time, uh, I think it's a little rich how everyone, including myself is up on their soapbox about this without realizing that if you look at it from a certain perspective, uh, we are, you could zoom out. If you zoom out far enough, you could say, wow, look at all these people in tech. So happy and Uber breaks the law and so upset when Uber says something that violated our, our personal sense of what's right, what's right or wrong. Yeah. Because I mean, but the reason they supported, they supported Uber when they broke the law was because they felt the law was violating our sense of right and wrong. And here was someone coming along and pushing back against it. And, and I, you're right, like the illusion's been shattered a little bit this last little while. And I mean, in terms of their ultimate success, they are, there is no doubt that they rely on the goodwill of their community when, when things like the legislators decide they want to crack down on them one reason or another. And I think most recently, I, I think I saw it in the last couple of days, Toronto is now someone's moved in Toronto to try and shut them down because they're, they're breaking local laws or whatever, some version of it. There was once upon a time when I'd have seen that and if that emailed me and I was in that geography, I would have not even hesitated to send in an email or even make a phone call to a local representative to say, hey, this is you guys creating laws to block a company like this that's doing a great thing. It's, it's, it's like it's, it's dramatically improved my life. It's dramatically improved lots of people's lives. It's a fantastic service. Why are you blocking competition? It makes no sense. But I tell you what, after the, I mean, in terms of whether like to step back and think about whether the behavior that they're talking about, whether this is ultimately about making Uber successful, I'd be much less likely to go and do that on their behalf now because they've kind of, they, you know, they've, I won't say they've revealed their true selves because the company's a collection of people and this guy might have just been a bit frustrated. Maybe he was frustrated, maybe he was having a bad night and was frustrated and saying something that he was never actually really going to do. I don't know. I, I hope that's true. But it certainly shakes you know, like I, like it shakes this passionate belief I have in the, the company and what they've done to push back against these stupid in- laws that protect incumbents. I love the service and I love the way that they've, they've tried to, I love the fight in them in terms of like, these laws shouldn't exist. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't just not go into a city because a taxi company or so on and so forth is paying money to politicians to stop us. Like, I love that they're fighting against that. If, 
But when it comes to doing stuff like this, it's just, it's so frustrating. I think that the point is is well made that the the danger for Uber is that they they lose the ardor of their of their supporters, which is which right. is super key, which is super key to um to overcoming to breaking through in, the, in these different locales. It just I just find it so interesting that the this what we're upset about is is something that's very that's different than. Uh, the laws, right? It's some sort of moral code and that we just believe that it's wrong. And the thing that's, and the thing that's challenging about this is um, one, I think it's a challenge for society in general that the, the sense of you shouldn't do something just because it's wrong uh, isn't, is much less prevalent mm. than I think it used to be. And I think, you know, you, you've seen this on, on wall street, for example, um, you know, well, it's not against the law, so it must be okay. And, you know, we know, we know how that goes. Uh, the, <laughs> the problem though, and, and this is something that's, that's interesting. And so it's easy to think, Oh, the good old days, people did stuff because it was the right thing to do. Like there was an unspoken code of conduct that, you know, people wouldn't do this sort of thing. Um, the problem was that unspoken code of conduct actually had a lot of crappy parts to it too, right? Like it was it, it was unspoken uh, totally. that we don't hire black people, or is unspoken that uh, females can't be managers. Like they're like, and yeah. so I don't know. I, but I'm not even I'm not even sure it's that right. I I, I think the distinction you draw between um, the law and some other code. I think that's exactly right. And I think that's why so many people supported Uber as it, I mean, how you wouldn't expect a company in general to get support from everyday people when it breaks the law. But I think, I think the distinction between the two things that you're pulling at here is exactly why people did support Uber so fervently is because they thought what Uber was doing was right and what the law is, is wrong. And what's interesting in this instance is that although there may actually not be any law against hiring dirt diggers to go out, like it's a freedom of speech thing, right? Like pay a million dollars to go get, to go get, um, to, for people to start digging dirt on journalists that that say nasty things about you, I'm sure there's no law against doing that. At the same time, like people object to that behavior pretty dramatically. Like they, they like yeah, even though there's no law against it. And I think what it's that tension between those two things that they people were supporting this company in the first instance because it was fighting against it was doing something that they felt was quote unquote right even though the law said they shouldn't do it but now subsequently they've behaved in a way that maybe isn't against the law but people don't feel is right and it's it's just you know it's it it feels a bit like the rug's been pulled out from underneath you question is what i mean what now well this company needs to grow up I mean, and it's not the first instance of like uh, a, a relatively well-respected company going through an adolescent period doing silly things like this. I mean, Zuckerberg had these issues with Facebook. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure if you dig through a lot of companies going through the same stages, there were lots of instances. There are lots of instances of people doing stuff like this. At some point, though, you just need to recognize that it will have a real business impact. Like, even if you don't subscribe to all the moral and ethical stuff, 
Like Uber does rely on people's goodwill to help it break into these territories when when the the the, the local the local lawmakers are are encouraged or incentivized to to stop them. Like it's going to blow a hole in their budgets. Plus, they're friends with all the taxi drivers and the taxi well, not the taxi drivers, but the taxi companies and the taxi companies are all donating to their campaigns. Like if Uber wants to be successful, it needs to. It needs to have a, a high degree of goodwill as it goes into these into these territories, and if it doesn't, it's going to risk its. I mean, just putting aside like doing the right thing for the right thing's sake, which is what I fundamentally believe in. Like putting that aside, it's going to have difficulty expanding if it doesn't start getting its act together. You just can't keep behaving like this because you break the law. That's one thing, particularly when people support you breaking the law. But if they, if this, if if the general widespread popular support starts declining because they keep pulling stunts like this, they start running out of friends. You know, I agree. But the question is, if we go with the premise that um, Uber was bucking these local laws, uh, not because they for some principled standpoint, because it benefited Uber. Uh, and now they're doing the quote unquote wrong thing because they think it benefits Uber, even though in the long run, it hurts them. Um, you know, so clearly there, there's, there's a calibration problem here, right? They can't really, they, it's hard for them to see what is existential and uh, an existential threat and what just really isn't that big of a deal. Um, can they, de- do you think they can develop that sense? I mean, again, like they've, been rewarded amply for giving into this instinct repeatedly and giving into it in a very extreme Mm. way. Like all the incentives for Uber have been to grow, 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 fight, 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 grow, 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 fight, 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 Mm. you, you know, to, to the death. And they're fighting for what I believe is a, to the death fight. Like I think there is, I think this is a massive winner take all as I've written about and talked about multiple times. Like I think this, this is much more of a winner take all market than the critics, the critics think. Um, And and so the, from an economic perspective, this attitude is exactly what you want. It's, it, I just don't know how you go about and tell a company you need to fight like, but only in the places where I think it's okay. Mm. Oh, I mean, I think you raise a good point. And it actually goes back to something that we talked about in a very early episode, perhaps even the first episode, which is like a company culture. And, and it's, you know, like the way culture gets formed, people encounter a problem. They're not sure how to solve it the first time and they try a certain thing and it works well enough. And then the next time they encounter a problem that they think about how to solve it a little bit less. And then that keeps going until they start to encounter that problem and nobody thinks about how to solve it at all. It's just the way things are done here. Now it's, it's once a company culture is really deeply ingrained, it becomes very hard to change. Now there are certain things that can do that. And one of them is a crisis. Now I don't think this is blowing up a lot on Twitter and a lot in the press, but I think it's more it's it's more an instance of like the intelligentsia or whatever you like it, it this isn't a this isn't a broad story yet. I do wonder though whether if they keep behaving like this, eventually they are going to do something where it does get in the mainstream press where people do start to recognize that this isn't a company that's breaking the law because the fundamental belief is like the laws are broken and like they're, they're, 
it's almost like a Robin Hood type character where we're breaking the laws because the laws are, are stupid and it's the laws are just there to benefit moneyed interests and that, that's why we're not paying any attention to them. People will start to recognize that perhaps this is a company that breaks the law because it, it just has a blatant disrespect for anything that's not in, in its own interest. And that's where I think they start to run into more difficulties. But isn't that clearly the case? I mean, so, I mean, I, I, the, and to my mind, this is a company that's, that's what, six, seven years old and worth, mm-hmm. soon to be worth 30 billion. I think the culture's pretty set. Mm. It is pretty set, but then, you know what, like, they are going to increasingly run into troubles expanding into new geographies. And the thing that they've always done that's helped them is that they've had broad-based support around, you know, I mean, it, it's happening It's happening back in Australia right now. I, I think I remember reading something about Uber having troubles in, in one of the Australian geographies because the politicians want to protect the taxi industry. And, you know, two weeks ago, I would be... I would be figuring out ways of like throwing my voice into the fray and saying, you know what, this is just ridiculous. This is a sad indictment on Australia that it's it's blocking innovation. This is a great company. It does fantastic things. And you know what? Like I'm just, after this latest round of things, I mean, it's probably not to the point where I'd stop using them, at least not yet. And I know there are alternatives out there, but I'm certainly not going to be as ardent a support. I am like... I just don't feel good about, and maybe it'll change again. Maybe they'll change. But right now I do not feel good about sticking my neck out, putting my hand up and saying, I support this company because that kind of, that kind of, it's one thing to break a bunch of laws. And I think it's, you know, I, I actually come down on the side. I think it's fantastic that they broke the laws they did because I think those laws make no sense. It's, this was like a, a, this was, to my mind, a, a, a corporate version of civil disobedience because the laws made no sense. But they start behaving, they turn around, like you support civil disobedience, there's this, there's this kind of righteousness that's required to pull it off. Like you openly do it and, and in lots of other respects, you need to be able to look at the organization and say, this is a good organization and the reason they're breaking these laws, or this is a good person, the reason they're breaking these laws is because they think the laws are wrong and they're standing there and they're not trying to hide it, they're being open about it and they're causing a debate about whether the law should be there in the first place. But when they start pulling tricks like this, like going after a female journalist and a family, or at least talking about it, all the things that have been well documented, it just just causes you to lose faith. It's like, I'm not, I, I can't stand up for someone who's been, it's not civil disobedience. It's, it's but something again, else. Uh, and again, I'm, to be, to be, to be devil's yeah, advocate. Yeah, no, keep, keep, keep drilling me. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. And if I can be, if I can be very blunt please. about it, what Go you're saying it. is, no, please do. I'm upset because Uber doesn't follow James Allworth's moral code. And what I mean, yeah, but 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 it's not just that. But what what are you what are you appealing to? Like, are you appeal like? Is it, do you believe that there is like? And I guess that this is more of like a societal question. Like, to what to what are you appealing? Like, to, and this is actually a very specific phrase, which I think you you know. But to you 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 appeal to something, right? So traditionally, um, mm. when it comes to laws or rights, people have appealed to God, or they've appealed to the Bible, or they've appealed to. Uh, you know, the majority, like what, what is the basis on which 
Uber ought to be making these sorts of right and wrong decisions. Because right now it sounds like I, James Allworth, think that breaking these laws is good, so go Uber. I, James Allworth, think that this conversation was bad, so so bad, bad, bad Uber. And again, again I'm just, yeah. you're not alone yeah, in this. I'm just picking on you I because mean, you're on the podcast. No, 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 please pick. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I signed up for this, didn't I? Um, I mean... All I'm extending is my support. So yeah, I mean, on some level, all I can do is say, this is the way I feel about it. I think what's powerful about them is that the narrative that they've created around it and the rationale, I mean, I, I view it through a very certain lens and I'll come to that in a second, but the, the, the narrative they've created around it is that, is that we're doing the right thing and the, these laws make no sense. They're, they're not good for consumers and we're going to break these laws uh, openly and we're going to do it in the court of public opinion because we think the laws should change and if we don't do this we don't feel like we don't feel like anything's going to force it so we're putting ourselves out there as a forcing mechanism to get this to change now part of my rationale for supporting them in breaking the laws was was through something that I've written a little bit about and that is that and it's something we've talked about a lot as well. And that is this notion that corruption is actually stifling innovation in this company where you get incumbents and incumbents will do whatever they can to protect their existing business. And one of the ways in which it's very effective in America is to is to make political donations by the people who create the laws to stop disruptive innovation from occurring. And I viewed Uber's, uh, Uber's actions and the laws surrounding relating to Uber through that lens. And so, yeah, it's, it's a personal thing. I have my rationale for why I support it. Do you mind if I, do you mind if I jump in? Go for it. Like you, you keep talking about you, how you feel and what you think, but the problem is right. you're not in the executive suite at Uber. So, so, so what, okay, on so what basis, the basis should Uber make decisions going forward? Is, is like if every company behaved in this way, is this a country that I'd want to live in? And I completely support them on the basis of breaking laws because the laws have been established to support incumbents and they make no sense for society in general. But if it, if it starts extending to attacking attacking journalists because they say nasty things about the company, if it starts extending to um, we're going to pull up the private details of of our riders because we think that's a fun stunt to pull at a launch party. If it starts extending to things like that, then no, that's not the way I want companies to behave in the society I want to live in. So, so here's a here's a question for you. Um, does it bother you that uh, again? I'm not making any allegations here by any means. I'm just stating some facts. Does it bother you sure, sure. that? Uh, Handle Daily is uh, one of the funders is Mark Andreessen. Um, one of the big investors in Lyft, Uber's competitor, is Andreessen Horowitz. And one of the big investors in BuzzFeed mm-hmm. is Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, because those are, the, those are the players here. Yeah, no, no I, I get what you're driving at. I... I don't think so because if I was behaving, if I was a, if so, I'm still viewing this through the lens of your previous question. No, does it bother you, James Allworth? Does it? Does it bother me? It because uh, you were just you were just very question. concerned about I, uh, corruption and the 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 effects of money on people's behavior. 
Right. Uh, I don't know. Like, so it, it, so here's, here's what would you don't need to me. answer it because it's a, it's a. No, no, no. I get what you're saying, but no, no, no. Let me. It would, it would bother me if I felt the reason. This, this goes back to another previous conversation we've had. It would bother me if I thought that the reason that these things were being said in Pando Daily was because of the Andreessen investment and Lyft and everything else. Now, I get the connection you're drawing me. Drawing here? No, no. I, I, I'm not drawing a connection. But, but let's like just this. This started with basically a Sarah Lacey broadside against Uber, like saying I'm deleting the app from my phone. Uh, you know, like, and again, it was a response to an Uber, another Uber screw up, which was the the advertisement in France. You know, with like a, a having a pretty girl mm, drive you, right. but like her, she delivered this huge broadside and like said they should delete it everyone should delete it and and that's the kind of the chain of events that led to today now let me be super clear like isn't i said the whole time like i i this podcast i'm just wanting to explore what i think is unexplored here i think the idea of investigating a particular journalist i think uber should have should i think they they lost their head they should be way cool about it they should like you know brush it off shake it off we're on a Taylor. We're on a Taylor yeah. theme. Taylor Swift theme. Um, but <laughs> at the same at the same time, you can definitely see something here where uh, you're you're again. The problem with expressing empathy for someone who did a bad thing is that people will think you think the bad thing's okay. I don't think that. But what I I, I can yeah. envision a Smart. scenario where where Uber's like. Okay, yes, we screwed up in France, but that that attack was way over the top. You know what what, what that and oh, look at that. Look look at the funding. Look look where that's coming from. And I know and Uber feels that Lyft is very active in PR and is manipulating coverage to, you know, in that a lot of the whole bruaha about Uber stone yeah. Lyft, like Lyft was feeding all that to to the press. Like that that's a very and so and so sure. and so then you mix that with the with the like already kind of paranoid mentality that they necessarily have because usually when they think that someone's out to get them, they're right. You know, like it, when it comes to, to city things and then, and then you get into this, this conversation and someone says something stupid and now, and now like everyone's like going like, again, it's, it was stupid. And I think the guy deserves to be fired. Let me be super clear about that. But at the same time, I just think it, it there's, there's, it's a lot. I think it's a lot more, complicated in general. I just think it's fascinating the way how people will so quickly switch, not just you, but everyone will switch the way they think about a company because of everyone's operating on their own personal moral code. And it's, and clearly Uber has one that doesn't align with a lot of people. And that's, that's problematic, but it's hard to sit here and tell them what, what code they ought to abide by. And it's easy to say, oh, this country is going to hell in a handbasket because, you know, we everyone used to do the same thing the same way without appreciating, like, the old way wasn't great either. I don't know. I, I just... Yeah, no, no, I know what you're saying. I, I, I feel like it's a slightly different point, though. I mean, you're right. Like, ultimately, whether an action is viewed as right or wrong, like, fundamentally, it's always going to be someone's opinion. Um, and the sum of all those opinions turn out to be the court of public opinion. Now, this, this, like, let's just, just, I know you didn't explicitly state this, but let's just go with it. Let's just pretend that all the Pando Daily stuff is like directly as a result of like some funding arrangement that's linked to a competitor or whatever. But And by no means am I alleging that. 
let's just go with a thought let's just go with a thought experiment that that's true i put that in the same kind of you know this is business is war type stuff as like them trying to steal drivers or whatever it's like it's it's a little it's 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 narky whatever but it's it's also like it there is i think most people would agree that the distinction between uh, like running a PR battle or or stealing drivers, like there's a difference between that and there's a difference between going out and like I, I didn't pay any attention to that stuff. I assume that kind of stuff happens all the time. It's not great, but some people choose to operate in that territory. That's I, that's their choice. I mean, there's a risk associated with it, but there is a there is a different line that has been crossed when people start talking about picking on individuals, hiring dirt squads to to discredit individuals, like digging into people's families. Like it, it just feels different. And maybe, and you're right, you're going to push back and say that's James Orworth's opinion. Maybe that's true. But I think the past 48 hours has proven it's not just my opinion. There are lots of other people that share no, that I mean, opinion as well. I agree. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I it, it is different. Um, and as I stated at the beginning, I'm purposely playing devil's advocate here. So before I get all the angry emails and feedback telling me what a terrible person I am, um, what I just, I just want, I just think <laughs> it's, it's interesting because I, I think what they did was bad as well, but in general, it's, it's kind of unsatisfactory to say it's bad because, because I say it is, or, you know what? Well, I'm sure there's like some, I mean, I, I, I I'm I mean if <laughs> I haven't taken any philosophy classes, but I'm sure if you if you dig back, the, like I'm sure there's some first principles rationale around around these things if you really want to dive into it. But fundamentally, like you you can you can we can argue around whether it's right or wrong for its own sake. You can also argue whether it's right or wrong from the sake of the long term sustainability of the business and. Yeah, well, it's like they are going to have a problem from a business sustainability point of view if they don't fix this because they rely on people's support to do what they're doing. And it's it's turning it's turning a core group of supporters that you know that people get out there people like pe- people like you and I but people that are probably listening to this podcast there are probably a bunch of people who have platforms on which to support the company and have done so in the past and as a result of the actions over the past 48 hours are much less likely to do so in the future i agree i i i i guess the reason why i keep pushing on this other question is because i feel like it 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 it's actually a really important one and one that I don't really have an answer to. And um, unfortunately it seems uh, you don't either. But it, just to be specific around what that is, you're, you're talking about. The, the, the question is, is like the, the, like what is it that ought to compel people to do the right thing? And, and again, like I, I think I, I, I tied Uber to, to kind of the wall street mentality where, um, it uh-huh. wasn't the right thing to hand out those subprime mortgage, mortgages. It wasn't the right thing to bundle them together and say, say they were good. It wasn't the right thing to then leverage them to the hilt. But, but people did it because they were incentivized to do it. They were incentivized to, to make money, to get bonuses, to, you know, all, all, all the sort of stuff that has been discussed, discussed ad nauseum. And, and uh, yeah. this is kind of a fundamental problem with, 
with not just capitalism, but any economic system is you, you can't legislate everything. In fact, the more you legislate, the more opportunities there are for, to exploit loopholes and to entrench incumbents, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, if you care about innovation as a rule, you should want less legislation, not more, because to deal with legislation takes money. It takes resources, and that's, that's the one advantage incumbents always have. I, I think I, the only real solution I can suggest, well, uh, the, the way I think about this is I wonder whether it's actually better to legislate on principles rather than legislating on on specific, like you have to do, and, and I understand that brings its own set of problems, but it then at least it comes back down to human judgment against Wait, whoa, whoa, the scenarios. I mean, human a, judgment, a, where? James Allworth's human judgment, okay, I trust you, I know you, I'll, I'll, I'll submit myself to that reluctantly. Uh, I'm not going to submit myself to the human judgment of a judge sitting in some, I, I don't want to say a state's name that I don't, that offense but, but in like a state with maybe a less, a less progressive attitude about human rights or race or sex or sexuality. Like, but isn't that what we do every day anyway? Yeah, but, but not with the force of government behind it. But don't we, I mean, like the, the, isn't that exactly what happens? And I mean, I, you think of things like, you think of things like the the, the Bill of Rights or, or, or all the constitutional amendments. They're much more principle based, and they're not perfect, but they they seem to work. They seem to work pretty well and have stood the test of time. You know, the, um, it does happen a lot. Like for example, um, police officers have wide discretion, and the result is that the incarceration rates and arrest rates and traffic stoppage rates uh, of Minorities are wildly out of whack with their actual proportion of, of, of society. Like, I don't think that giving giving wide ranging subjective authority to a government backed authority is is a good solution at all. Point well taken. I, I guess I'm thinking about this. I was thinking about it in terms of Wall Street, and perhaps there are other examples. I don't think you're ever going to be able to create craft a specific set of, of uh, legislations that will stop the next quote unquote financial innovation from taking down, taking down the economy, what you can do is start thinking about it as a more principle-based system. Whereas if you create a product or service that results in certain things happening, then these are like, and I don't have the specific answers lined up, but if you, if you think about it more in to, as a principle, as opposed to like a more direct, less as a directive-based system that you might actually have a bit more success in stopping these things from happening. Well, I mean, Maybe well, I'm I think, wrong. Uh, Maybe I mean, you've just pointed Uber like, makes it even more complicated though. Cause I think you, you, it's easy to like look at wall street and think very narrowly about like the financial system, but then you get to Uber, like, like what, mm. like what realistically, I, what would you do? What, what could you do about this? I mean, the, the, our frustration with Uber at a very fundamental level is that the leadership of the company doesn't share the same social mores that you and I do. And, and, and that sounds black and white, but the problem is that it's it's also possible, if not probable, that the reason they're successful is because they don't share the same social mores that you and I do. 
No, I, I think it's much more nuanced than that. I think part of the reason that they're successful is they've exploited the fact that there's a distinction between our social mores and what the law said. And it made us feel like that these guys were like a, a knight in shining armor coming along, fighting against the incumbents, pushing to change the change the way that society constructed laws and the way that the way that politicians were able to create laws, like it felt like they were doing something that was quote unquote good to a lot of us because we felt that these laws were unjust and ridiculous in, in so many senses. But then it turns out they behave later on that, that like the, the set of behaviors later on, it, it wasn't about supporting our social mores and, and fighting against unjust laws. It turns out it was, it was much more motivated by self-interest. And I think well, that's but, left but, a lot but, of us hey, You and I have, have, have raised the capitalist flag on this, on this podcast. Like it's the pursuit of self-interest that is supposed to ultimately in aggregate uh, be a good thing. I mean, I, again, I, I'm not, I'm picking on you because, by, because no, because by proxy, I'm picking on myself. That's a wonderful way of like, of, of, uh, excusing you <laughs> picking on me. Like just, uh, you can say whatever you want to me, Ben. I just pretend just, I'm just, just doing it because there, I want to I mean, pick there, on myself. I love that. There's a hole here. And I know, and I know we have some very vocal readers who think capitalism is the worst thing ever. And I'm sure we'll hear from them, but all these sort of things that I mean, what's what's better? Because I can believe me, I can poke you a whole bunch of holes in that, and a lot of them come down to incentives, and it comes down to, uh, you know, instead it comes down to everything comes down to incentives, Did and it? I just think it, it's it's something that we as a society, particularly in America, I think this is a particular challenge for America. And the reason is because we're such a large country and we're so diverse. And there's people from so many different backgrounds. And we talk about like blue state, red state. Um, but I mean, in reality, America is like a whole bunch. It, it, it is. It's it's United States. It's like, and the states, even within states, there's different like tribes and stuff like that. Whereas if you're in a, if you're in a country, particularly like say, um, you know, say a European country where, where, or Asian country where everyone is the same culture and everyone grows up with the same social mores. Like those mores are super powerful and they constrain behavior in a way that you can't see, but that keeps kind of the social order. And a challenge has always been in the United States that we, that, that that's never been the case. We've never, if there's been a shared thing, it's almost been kind of like the Puritan work ethic or something, but, but now like that's breaking up and, and, and I know this is something that like conservatives, small C conservatives fret about is this idea that there's no longer this kind of commonly shared moral system that constrains behavior. And, and it's the refusal to acknowledge the importance of the system that I think is one of the shortcomings in libertarianism generally. And, but the, the, but at the same time, I can't, I can't take a small C conservative position and say, and bemoan that because I know that set of mores was terrible if you were black. It was terrible if you were gay. It was terrible if you were a woman. It was yeah. terrible if you were someone not born into privilege. And and uh, I don't I don't know what the answer is. I just I just think it, it's this tension is. Yeah, yeah. So so I I know what you're driving at here. And so the first thing I would say is that. That, that like that, first of all, we, they're slightly different things because yes, capitalism. We've we've held up the flag for capitalism, but capitalism is a is a system of allocating resources. Now, what you're driving at with a, a bunch of the things that you're talking about is something separate to capitalism, and that is like what sets of behaviors are okay. And I I think 
I don't know. I, I feel like what's caused me so much disappointment is that is that uh, again? I, I, there's a there's an idealism that Uber has appealed to in a lot of people in 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 the company calling upon their their support, which is which is not around the social mores, but really rather imagining is is it, it's almost been the narrative arc has been: is this the world you want to live in? Is the world you want to live in one where incumbent interests and taxi companies get to decide what's okay and what's not, or do you want to live in a world where where like uh, innovation is able to take root and we're able to deliver you this great service that that a lot of you, a lot of people who are customers love using. But because of those incumbent interests, like they're trying to shut it down. Like it's one thing to, I I feel like they've appealed to this idealistic streak inside of a lot of people about not so much where we've been, come from and what's acceptable, but uh, like putting aside the past, just like, is this the right, like, is this the world you want to live in or is it not? And if it's not the world you want to live in, then help us change it. Like they've appealed on, and it, it, it implicitly, to me, it implies that they have some understanding of that case, that or they're, they're like, I mean, they've done an incredible job around PR, but it, it just feels to me like inside the company, there's some acknowledgement that, like to be able to craft that narrative, they have to understand that feeling and they've appealed to a lot of people on the basis of it. But then to come along and do what they did is to run counter to it. And that's where I think the frustration is. So it's slightly different from the the Murray thing. It's almost like, I don't know, maybe my idealism is taking root here. Yeah. And I'm clearly in that boat. I mean, I, 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 as I wrote, I'm kind of in this resigned position where it's just disappointing. There's a pattern here, like in as much as we like to characterize them, you're right, as a Robin Hood, um, Robin Hood could have been characterized as just a self-interested thief. And yeah. And yeah, and I, it's troubling. And it's particularly troubling because I still remain as bullish on the company's prospects as ever. I think I think we're we're approaching a point where the advantage to take this, dare I say, full circle, the advantages of scale are going to start building on themselves. They're going to get, you know, the, they're going to reach a point where the level of consistency and the level of pricing are, are going to make them a default choice for a lot of people. And, um, and once and like once, once they get big enough, I just don't think anyone's gonna be able to, to, to challenge them. And, and maybe that's just the way it's going to be. And that's maybe it's gonna be like wall street. Like there's nothing, it's, too big. There's nothing we can do about it. Or the oil industry, where you know they they talk. It leaks every now and then. They talk about, oh, it doesn't matter if people like you. It just matters if you win. You're making me regret supporting them, casting them in that light. Like we've really created a monster. If that's what it gets down to, like these guys can do whatever they want, and nobody can stop them. And they have the. I think we have to the point where you know what, like they like geographies don't want them because of the way they behave, and it's not just. It's not just breaking the laws around, uh, you know, challenging incumbents, but it's breaking other laws where people are actually a, a lot less. I mean, <laughs> where I feel like they shouldn't be breaking laws. Yeah, you've pointed you've pointed it out. Um, I don't know. It'd be disappointing if it got to that point. No, I completely agree, and I, and I think there's. I think something you kind of just touched on is is. Very true. It, it, it's very hard, and you see a lot of companies stumble in the transition from underdog to big dog. 
Like, because the 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 mentality needed is totally different. I think this is something that Apple Apple struggled with, and like it's an argument where, in some respects, the Apple of today is better off having Tim Cook as CEO than than Steve Jobs, just because Steve Jobs was the consummate underdog, right? Like he 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 fought like crazy for Apple's interests without really giving a damn about anything else, and that's great when you're when you're scraping by and in, in hoping to survive to next payroll, uh, it's not so great when you're the most valuable company in the world. Yeah. There's a, there's a kind of, you know, you grow up like it's, you can behave like you're a kid when you're a kid, you can behave like you're a teenager when you're a teenager, but when you're like, when you're in your thirties and you're ruling the world, it's, it's like a little bit, you, you know, the, 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 the quality of behavior, the quality of interactions, the expectations dramatically shift. Yeah, and maybe, and maybe this is kind of the the silver lining here. Like, there, it's not implausible that this finally helps Uber, you know, wake up, right? And I hope so. It, That'd be awesome. You know, I, I do, I do think that, um, you know, it, it's concerning that they haven't fired the executive in question. I mean, just you got to, even if he's super awesome at his job, you got to cut bait, right? Um, oh, totally, it, totally. And, but I mean, I guess you know. I hope so. I, I hope. I hope. I hope they turn the corner. It. it, it the other thing that's scary though. To. The other thing that's scary though is I like. I I've kind of written about this. Those the daily update a lot. Like I I do believe that this is a market. Like I know it's dispersed and quote unquote entry seems easy. I think the realities of where the choke points are in supply and the multi sided nature of this market that actually it is a winner take all market that will have the winner will have monopoly type power. Um, it's <laughs> it's pretty concerning that if Uber if I'm right and Uber wins that. This is not the type of behavior you want from Monopolis. Yeah, you absolutely don't. You, yeah, that, I mean, yeah, you made the point earlier comparing it to the oil companies or whatever, and it's just a little bit depressing. But then again, maybe the regulators will eventually find some teeth, and maybe maybe and, they well, won't but, be but able catch, to catch that though. Like you, you're kind of hoping the regulators find their teeth, but the whole point of why you cheered for Uber was because they they defanged regulators in the first place. Yeah, yes, because it's all I totally get that and I understand how it could cause cognitive dissonance, but it's also it's also viewed through the lens of like are the laws doing like like are, do the laws make sense? Like I'm not one to simply say because some politician has written in place a law that the law makes sense. Like I want to I want to critically evaluate that for myself. And in the instance of a lot of the stuff that Uber's been fighting against, I just don't think those laws make sense. Now, if it comes to like a monopolist behaving like a <laughs> behave a monopolist behaving badly let's put it like that i absolutely think there should be laws in place and i you know i absolutely want regulators to to be able to work against that now it just really it's really easy to see how those regulations end up entrenching just just yeah because remember most of the taxi laws were made with the best of intentions as well like they were created to keep people safe but this this is like I totally agree. But this is like business models causing disruption, right? The fundamental assumptions around the world have changed, but the laws have not, and it's 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 holding progress back as a result of having those laws in place. And that's why I want the laws to change. But there are other areas of the law where the fundamental assumptions haven't changed, and you want those laws to keep working. 
I I I recognize it, it's, a, it's like such I, a it's such a utopian vision of how lawmaking works. So again, I um, I I agree with you generally. I mean, and, I, and I've written in favor of of some pretty far reaching sort of legislation, especially on things like healthcare and 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 um and broadband access and things like that. So I, I'm very much the pot calling the kettle black here. But I mean, laws. Ideally, laws shift with the market and are always exactly yeah. what they should be, but that's not how it actually works, you know, in real life because we're all humans. And right, and and part of changing it is what Uber has done, and that's why I supported them. But I'm not going to support I'm not going to support the repeal of anti anti monopoly laws just because Uber's suddenly successful and they're cranky now that the regulators are coming after them for some other reason. Like the reason for my support of Uber was not because of my support of Uber, but because I thought the laws were the, the laws were wrong, and that Uber was a vehicle to change the laws. A vehicle to change the laws is that a pun? Did I just do that? And guess what? The garbage truck has come back. I was talking to myself for I don't know how long, and. And I get to do, I, I called it a monologue last week, but really I thought about it a little bit after we went to air. And in reality, it's a soliloquy. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to myself and to the audience. I'm revealing my inner thoughts as opposed to monologuing, which kind of implies Ben's around to listen. Though he will get to listen to it later on when he hears the recording, I suppose. I wonder if he could do on-demand garbage trucks. Maybe that's maybe that's how Uber's got this massive valuation. That being said, well, I don't know. The garbage, the waste disposal industry, from from what I know of the Sopranos, is a pretty cutthroat industry. Maybe they'd be well suited to play in this industry. They have exactly the kind of social mores required to to get into <laughs> to get into waste management. Travis and Tony, Travis and Tony Incorporated. I'm going to get myself in trouble if I keep talking like this. I'll be I'll, I'll wake up sleeping with the fishes somewhere. 